Act Two of Mary Rose by J.M. Barry. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Two An Island in the Outer Hebrides. A hundred yards away, across the lock at the back, may be seen the greater island, of which this might be but a stone cast into the sea by some giant hand, perhaps an evil stone which the big island had to spew forth but could not sink. It is fair to look upon today, all its menace hidden under mosses of various hues that are a bath to the eye. An island placid as a cow grazing, or a sulky lady asleep. The sun which has left the bleak hills beyond is playing hide-and-seek on it. One suddenly has the curious fancy to ask, with whom? A blessed spot it might be thought, rather than sinister. Were there not those two trees, a fir and a rowan, their arms outstretched for ever southward, as if they had been struck while in full flight, and could no longer pray to their gods to carry them away from this island. A young highlander, a Cameron, passes in a boat at the back. Mary Rose and Simon come into view on the island. We have already heard them swishing away through the winds and bracken that are unseen. They are dressed as English people dress in Scotland. They have been married for four years, and are still the gay young creatures of their engagement day. Their talk is the happy nonsense that leaves no ripple, unless the unexpected happens. I think, I think, I don't think at all. I am quite sure this is the place. Simon, kiss me, kiss me quick. You promised to kiss me quick when we found the place. Simon, obeying. I am not the man to break my word. At the same time, Mary Rose, I would point out to you that this is the third spot you have picked out as being the place, and three times have I kissed you quick on that understanding. This can't go on, you know. As for your wonderful island, it turns out to be about the size of the round pond. I always said it was a little like myself. It was obviously made to fit you, or you to fit it. One of you was measured for the other. At any rate, we have now been all round it, and all through it, as my bleeding limbs testify. The winds have been tearing at him, and he rubs his legs. They didn't hurt me at all. Perhaps they like you better than me. Well... We have made a good search for the place where you used to sit and sketch, and you must now take your choice. It was here. I told you of the fir and the rowan tree. There was a fir and a rowan at each of the other places. Not this fir, not this rowan. Oh, you have me there. Simon, I know I'm not clever, but I'm always right. The rowan berries. I used to put them in my hair. She puts them in her hair again. Darling Rowan Tree, are you glad to see me back? You don't look a bit older. How do you think I am wearing? I shall tell you a secret. You too, furry. Come closer, both of you. Put your arms around me and listen. I am married. 
The branch of which she has been making a scarf disengages itself. It didn't like that, Simon. It is jealous. After all, it knew me first. Dearest trees, if I had known that you felt for me in that way, but it is too late now. I've been married for nearly four years, and this is the man. His name is Lieutenant Simon Sobersides. She darts about making discoveries. Simon, tranquilly smoking. What is it now? That moss. I feel sure there is a tree trunk beneath it, the very root on which I used to sit and sketch. He clears away some of the moss. It is a tree trunk right enough. I believe. I believe I cut my name on it with a knife. Well, this looks like it. M-A-R. And there it stops. That is always where the blade of the knife breaks. My own seat, how I have missed you. Don't you believe it, old tree trunk? She had forgotten all about you, and you just came vaguely back to her mind because we happened to be in the neighbourhood. Yes, I suppose that is true. You were the one who wanted to come, Simon. I wonder why. Simon, with his answer ready. No particular reason. I wanted to see a place you had visited as a child, that was all. But what a trumpery island it proves to be. Mary Rose, who perhaps agrees with him. How can you? Even if it is true, you needn't say it before them all, hurting their feelings. Dear Seat, here is one for each year I have been away. She kisses the trunk a number of times. Simon, counting. Eleven. Go on, give it all the news. Tell it we don't have a house of our own yet. You see, dear Seat, we live with my daddy and mother, because Simon is so often away at sea. You know, the loveliest thing in the world is the Navy, and the loveliest thing in the Navy is HMS Valiant, and the loveliest thing on HMS Valiant is Lieutenant Simon Sobersides, and the loveliest thing on Lieutenant Simon Sobersides is the little tuft of hair which will keep standing up at the back of his head. Simon, who is lolling on the moss, is so used to her prattle that his eyes close. But listen, you trees, I have a much more wonderful secret than that. You can have three guesses. It is this. I have got a baby. A girl? No, thank you. He is two years and nine months, and he says such beautiful things to me about loving me. Oh, Rowan, do you think he means them? I distinctly heard it say yes. He opens his eyes to see her gazing entranced across the water. You needn't pretend that you can see him. I do. Can't you? He is waving his bib to us. That is Nurse's cap. Then he is waving it. How clever of him. She waves her handkerchief. Now they are gone. Isn't it funny to think that from this very spot I used to wave to father? That was a happy time. I should be happier here if I wasn't so hungry. I wonder where Cameron is. I told him after he landed us to tie up the boat at any good place and make a fire. I suppose I'd better try to make it myself. How can you think of food at such a time? 
Simon, who is collecting sticks? Oh, very well, but you will presently be eating more than your share. Do you know, Simon, I don't think Daddy and Mother like this island. Simon, on his guard. Help me with the fire, you chatterbox. He has long ceased to credit the story he heard four years ago, but he is ever watchful for Mary Rose. They never seem to want to speak of it. Forgotten it, I suppose. I shall write to them from the inn this evening. How surprised they will be to know I am there again. I won't write from there. Wait till we cross to the mainland. Why not from there? Oh, no reason. But if they have a distaste for the place, perhaps they wouldn't like our coming. I say, praise me, I have got this fire alight. Mary Rose, who is occasionally pertinacious. Simon, why did you want to come to my island without me? Did I? <laughs> oh, I merely suggested your remaining at the inn because I thought you seemed tired. Well, I wonder where Cameron can have got to. Here he comes. Do be polite to him, dear. You know how touchy they are. I am learning. The boat with Cameron draws in. He is a gawky youth of twenty, in the poor but honourable garb of the gilly, and is not specially impressive until you question him about the universe. Cameron, in the soft voice of the Highlander, Is it the wish of Mr Blake that I should land? Yes, yes, Cameron, with the luncheon. Cameron steps ashore with a fishing basket. Is it the wish of Mr. Blake that I open the basket? We shall tumble out the luncheon if you bring a trout or two. I want you to show my wife, Cameron, how one cooks fish by the water's edge. I will do it with pleasure. He pauses. There is one little matter. It is of small importance. You may have noticed that I always address you as Mr. Blake... I notice that you always address me as Cameron. I take no offence. Oh dear, I am sure I always address you as Mr. Cameron. That is so, ma'am. You may have noticed that I always address you as ma'am. It is my way of indicating that I consider you a very genteel young matron, and of all such I am the humble servant. In saying that I am your humble servant, I do not imply that I am not as good as you are. With this brief explanation, ma'am, I will now fetch the trouts. Simon taking advantage of his departure. That is one in the eye for me, but I'm hanged if I'm Mr. Him. Simon, do be careful. If you want to say anything to me that is dangerous, say it in French. Cameron returns with two small sea trout. The trout's ma'am have been cleaned in a thorough and yet easy manner by pulling them up and down in the water... The next procedure is as follows. He wraps up the trout in a piece of newspaper and soaks them in the water. I now place the soaking little parcels on the fire. 
and when the paper begins to burn it will be a sure sign that the trouts is now ready like myself ma'am to be your humble servants he is returning to the boat mary rose who has been preparing the feast don't go away if it is agreeable to mistress blake i would wish to go back to the boat why cameron is not comfortable it would be more agreeable to me if you would stay cameron shuffling i will stay good man and look after the trout it is the most heavenly way of cooking fish mary rose it is a tasty way mr blake but i would not use the word heavenly in this connection i stand corrected i must say pronegard mon brave mon dieu qu'il est un drôle mais moi je l'aime il est tellement what is the french for in original <sighs> that stumps me colloquially coquin might be used although the classic writers would probably say simply an original simon with a groan uh, this is serious what was that book you were reading cameron while i was fishing it is a small euripides i carry in my pocket mr blake latin mary rose it may be latin but in these parts we know no better than to call it greek crushed again but i dare say it is good for me sit down and have potluck with us i thank you mr blake but it would not be good manners for a paid man to sit with his employers when i ask you mr cameron it is kindly meant but i have not been introduced to you oh but oh do let me my husband mr blake mr cameron i hope you are very well sir the same to you mr cameron how do you do a lovely day isn't it it is a very fine day he is not yet appeased mary rose to the rescue simon ah do you know my wife mr cameron mrs blake i am very pleased to make mistress blake's acquaintance is mistress blake making a long stay in these parts no alas we go across tomorrow i hope the weather will be favorable thank you passing him the sandwiches and now you know you are our guest i am much obliged he examines the sandwiches with curiosity butcher meat this is very excellent he bursts into a surprising fit of laughter and suddenly cuts it off ah uh, please excuse my behaviour you have been laughing at me all this time but you did not know i have been laughing at myself also though keeping a remarkable control over my features 
I will now have my laugh out, and then I will explain. He finishes his laugh. I will now explain. I am not the solemn prig I have pretended to you to be. I am really a fairly attractive young man, but I am shy, and I have been guarding against you taking liberties with me. Not because of myself, who am nothing, but because of the noble profession it is my ambition to enter. They discover that they like him. Do tell us what that is. It is the ministry. I am a student of Aberdeen University, and in the vacation... I am a boatman, or a ghillie, or anything you please, to help pay my fees. Well done. I am obliged to Mr. Blake, and I may say, now that we know one another socially, that there is much in Mr. Blake which I am trying to copy. Something in me worth copying? It is not Mr. Blake's learning. He has not much learning, but I have always understood that the English manage without it. What I admire is your very nice manners and your general deportment, in all of which I have a great deal to learn yet, and I watch these things in Mr. Blake, and take memoranda of them in a little notebook. Simon expands. Mr. Cameron, do tell me that I also am in the little notebook. You are not, ma'am. It would not be seemly in me. But it is written in my heart... And also I have said it to my father that I will remain a bachelor unless I can marry some lady who is very like Mistress Blake. Simon, you never said anything to me as pretty as that. Is your father a crofter in the village? Yes, ma'am, when he is not at the university in Aberdeen. My stars, does he go there too? He does so. We share a very small room between us. Father and son. Is he going into the ministry also? Such is not his purpose. When he has taken his degree, he will return and be a crofter again. In that case, I don't see what he is getting out of it. He is getting the grandest thing in the world out of it. He is getting education. Simon feels that he is being gradually rubbed out, and it is a relief to him that Cameron now has to attend to the trout. The paper they are wrapped in has begun to burn. Mary Rose, for the first time eating of trout as it should be cooked. Delicious. She offers a portion to Cameron. No, I thank you. I have lived on trout most of my life. This butcher meat is more than an excellent novelty to me. He has been standing all this time. Do sit down, Mr. Cameron. I am doing very well here, thank you. But please? 
I will not sit down on this island. Come, come, are you superstitious? You who are going into the ministry? This island has a bad name. I have never landed on it before. A bad name, Mr. Cameron? Oh, but what a shame. When I was here long ago, I often came to the island. Is that so? It was not a chancy thing to do. But it is a darling island. That is the proper way to speak of it. I am sure I never heard a word against it. Have you, Simon? Not I. I have heard that its Gaelic name has an odd meaning. The island that likes to be visited. But there is nothing terrifying in that. The name is new to me, Mr. Cameron. I think it is sweet. That is as it may be, Mistress Blake. What is there against the island? For one thing, they say it has no authority to be here. It was not always here, so they are saying. Then one day it was here. That little incident happened before your time, I should say, Mr. Cameron. It happened before the time of anyone now alive, Mr. Blake. I thought so. Does the island ever go away for a jaunt in the same way? There are some who say that it does. But you have not seen it on the movie yourself. I am not always watching it, Mr. Blake. Anything else against it? There is the birds. Too many birds come here. The birds like this island more than is seemly. Birds here? What could bring them here? It is said they come to listen. To listen to the silence? An island that is as still as an empty church? I do not know. That is what they say. I think it is a lovely story about the birds. I expect the kind things come because this island likes to be visited. Oh, that is another thing. For mark you, Mistress Blake, an island that have visitors would not need to want to be visited. And why has it not visitors? Because they are afraid to visit it. Whatever are they afraid of? That is what I say to them. Whatever are you afraid of, I say. But what are you afraid of, Mr. Cameron? The same thing that they are afraid of. There are stories, ma'am. Do tell us. Simon, wouldn't it be lovely if he would tell us some misty, eerie Highland stories? I don't know. Not unless they are pretty ones. Please, Mr. Cameron, I love to have my blood curdled. There is many stories. There is that one of the boy who was brought to this island. He was no older than your baby. What happened to him? No one knows, Mr. Blake. His father and mother and their friends, they were gathering rowans on the island, and when they look round, he was gone. Lost? He could not be found. He was never found. Never? He had fallen into the water? 
That is a good thing to say, that he had fallen into the water. That is what I say. But you don't believe it? I do not. What do the people in the village say? Some say he is on the island still. Mr. Cameron, oh, Mr. Cameron, what does your father say? He will be saying that they are not here always, but that they come and go. They? Who are they? I do not know. Perhaps he heard what the birds come to listen to. That is what they say. He had heard the island calling. How does the island call? I do not know. Do you know anyone who has heard the call? I do not. No one can hear it but those for whom it is meant. But if that child heard it, the others must have heard it also, as they were with him. They heard nothing. That is how it will be. I might be standing close to you, Mistress Blake, as it were here, and I might hear it, very loud, terrible, or in soft whispers. No one knows, but I would have to go, and you will not have heard a sound. Simon, isn't it creepy? But full of holes, I have no doubt. How long ago is this supposed to have happened, credulous one? It was before I was born. <sighs> I thought so. Simon, don't make fun of my island. Do you know any more ducky stories about it, Mr. Cameron? I cannot tell them if Mr. Blake will be saying things the island might not like to hear. Not chancy, I suppose. Simon, promise to be good. All right, Cameron. This one is about a young English miss, and they say she was about ten years of age. Not so much younger than I was when I came here. How long ago was it? I think it is ten years ago this summer. Simon, it must have been the year after I was here. Simon thinks she has heard enough. Very likely. But I say we mustn't stay on gossiping. We must be getting back. But did you bail out the boat? I did not. But I will do it now, if such is your wish. The story first. I won't go without the story. Well then, the father of this miss, he will be fond of the fishing, and he sometimes landed the little one on the island while he fished round it from the boat. Just as father used to do with me. I dare say lots of old tourists come over here. That is so, if ignorance be boldness, and sometimes... Quite so, but I really think we must be starting. No, dear. Please go on, Mr. Cameron. One day the father pulled over for his little one as usual. He saw her from the boat, and it is said she kissed her hand to him. Then, in a moment more, he reached the island, but she was gone. Gone? She had heard the call of the island, though no sound came to him. 
Doesn't it make one shiver? My father was one of the searchers. For many days they searched. But it would not take many minutes to search this darling little island. They searched, ma'am, long after there was no sense in searching. What a curdling story. Simon, dear, it might have been Mary Rose. Is there any more? There is more. It was about a month afterwards. Her father was walking on the shore, over there, and he saw something moving on the island. All in a tremble, ma'am, he came across in the boat, and it was his little miss. Alive? Yes, ma'am. I am glad, but it rather spoils the mystery. How, Mary Rose? Because she could tell them what happened, stupid. Whatever was it? It is not so easy as that. She did not know that anything had happened. She thought she had been parted from her father for but an hour. Mary Rose shivers and takes her husband's hand. Simon, speaking more lightly than he is feeling. You and your bogies and wraiths, you man of the mists. Mary Rose, smiling. Don't be alarmed, Simon. I was only pretending. It is not good to disbelieve the stories when you are in these parts. I believe them all when I am here. Though I turn the cold light of remorseless reason on them when I am in Aberdeen. Is that chancy, my friend? An island that has such extraordinary powers could surely send its call to Aberdeen or father. Cameron, troubled. I had not thought of that. That may be very true. Beware, Mr. Cameron, lest some day when you are approaching far from here the call plucks you out of the very pulpit and brings you back to the island like a trout on a long cast. I do not like Mr. Blake's way of talking. I will go and bail the boat. He goes back to the boat, which soon drifts out of sight. Suppose it were true, Simon. But it isn't. No. Of course not. But if it had been, how awful for the girl when her father told her that she had been away for weeks. Perhaps she was never told. He may have thought it wiser not to disturb her. Poor girl. Yes, I suppose that would have been best. And yet, it was taking a risk. How? Well, not knowing what had happened before, she might come back and be caught again. She draws closer to him. Little Island, I don't think I like you today. If she ever comes back, let us hope it is with an able-bodied husband to protect her. Nice people, husbands. You won't let them catch me, will you, Simon? Let him try. And now to pack up the remnants of the feast and escape from the scene of the crime. We will never come back again, Mary Rose. I'm too frightened. She helps him to pack. It is a shame to be funny about my island. You poor, lonely island. I never knew about your liking to be visited, and I dare say I shall never visit you any more. The last time of anything is always sad. 
Don't you think, Simon? There must always be a last time, dearest dear. Yes, I suppose. For everything. There must be a last time I shall see you, Simon. Playing with his hair. Someday I shall flatten this tuft for the thousandth time, and then never do it again. Someday I shall look for it, and it won't be there. That day I shall say good riddance. I shall cry. She is whimsical rather than merry, and merry rather than sad. Simon touches her hair with his lips. Someday, Simon, you will kiss me for the last time. That wasn't the last time, at any rate. To prove it, he kisses her again, sportively, little thinking that this may be the last time. She quivers. What is it? I don't know. Something seemed to pass over me. <sighs> you and your last times. Let me tell you, Mistress Blake, there will be a last time of seeing your baby. I mean, only that he can't always be infantile. But the day after you have seen him for the last time as a baby, you will see him for the first time as a little gentleman. Think of that. Mary Rose, clapping her hands. The loveliest time of all will be when he is a man and takes me on his knee instead of my putting him on mine. Oh, gorgeous. With one of her sudden changes. Don't you think the sad thing is that we seldom know when the last time has come? We could make so much more of it. Don't you believe that? To know would spoil it all. The packing is nearly completed. I suppose I ought to stamp out the fire. Let Cameron do that. I want you to come and sit beside me, Simon, and make love to me. <sighs> what a life. Let me see now. How does one begin? Which arm is it? I believe I have forgotten the way. Then I shall make love to you. Playing with his hair? Have I been a nice wife to you, Simon? I don't mean always and always. There was that awful day when I threw the butter dish at you. I am so sorry. But have I been a tolerably good wife on the whole? Not a wonderful one, but a wife that would pass in a crowd? Look here. If you are going to butt me with your head in that way, you must take that pin out of your hair. Have I been all right as a mother, Simon? Have I been the sort of mother a child could both love and respect? That is a very awkward question. You must ask that of Harry Morland Blake. Have I? Shut up, Mary Rose. I know you. You will be crying in a moment, and you don't have a handkerchief, for I wrapped it round the trout whose head came off. At any rate, Simon Blake, say you forgive me about the butter dish. I am not so sure of that. And there were some other things, almost worse than the butter dish. I should just say there were. Simon, how can you? There was nothing so bad as that. Simon, shaking his head. I can smile at it now, but at the time I was a miserable man. I wonder I didn't take to drink. Poor old Simon. But how stupid you were, dear, not to understand. How could an ignorant young husband understand that it was a good sign when his wife threw the butter dish at him? You should have guessed. No doubt I was a ninny. But I had always understood that when a young wife, 
but when she took the husband aside and went red or white and hid her head on his bosom and whispered the rest i admit i was hoping for that but <laughs> all i got was the butter dish i suppose different women have different ways i hope so and that was the dastard trick you played me afterwards which oh that i just wanted you to be out of the way till all was over I don't mean you're getting me out of the house, sending me to Plymouth. The dastardliness was in not letting them tell me when I got back that... that he had arrived. It was very naughty of me. You remember, Simon, when you came in my room, you tried to comfort me by saying it wouldn't be long now, and I let you maunder on, you darling. Gazing at me with solemn, innocent eyes. You unnatural brat, Mary Rose. You should have been able to read in my face how clever I had been. Oh, Simon, when I said at last, Dearest, what is that funny thing in the bassinet? And you went and looked? Never shall I forget your face. I thought at first it was some baby you had borrowed. I sometimes think so still. I didn't, did I? You are a drill one. Always just when I think I know you at last, I have to begin at the beginning again. Simon, if one of us had to... to go, and we could choose which one... <sighs> She's off again. Well, but if... I wonder which would be best. I mean for Harry, of course. Oh, I should have to hop it. Dear. <laughs> I haven't popped off yet. Steady, you nearly knocked over the pickles. He regards her curiously. If I did go, I know your first thought would be, the happiness of Harry must not be interfered with for a moment. He would blot me out forever, Mary Rose, rather than he should lose one of his hundred laughs a day. She hides her face. It's true, isn't it? It is true, at any rate, that if I was the one to go, that is what I should like you to do. Get off the tablecloth! Her mouth opens. Don't step on the marmalade. Simon, isn't life lovely? I am so happy, happy, happy. Aren't you? Rather. But you can tie up marmalade. Why don't you scream with happiness? One of us has got to scream. Then I know which one it will be. Scream away, it will give Cameron the jumps. Cameron draws in. There you are, Cameron. We are still safe, you see. You can count us. Two. I am very glad. Here you are. Handing him the luncheon basket. You need to tie the boat up. Stay there and I'll stamp out the fire myself. As Mr. Blake pleases. Ready, Mary Rose? I must say goodbye to my island first. Goodbye, old mossy seat. Nice Rowan. Goodbye, little island that likes too much to be visited. Perhaps I shall come back when I am an old lady with wrinkles, and you won't know your Mary Rose. I say, dear, do dry up. I can't help listening to you when I ought to be getting this fire out. I won't say another word. Just as it seems to be out, sparks come again. Do you think if I were to get some stones... He looks up. And she signs that she has promised not to talk. They laugh to each other. 
He is then occupied for a little time in dumping wet stones from the lock upon the fire. Cameron is in the boat with his Euripides. Mary Rose is sitting demure but gay, holding her tongue with her fingers like a child. Something else is happening. The call has come to Mary Rose. It is at first as soft and furtive as whisperings from holes in the ground. Mary Rose, Mary Rose. Then, in a fury as of storm and whistling winds that might be an unholy organ, it rushes upon the island, raking every bush for her. These sounds increase rapidly in volume till the mere loudness of them is horrible. They are not without an opponent. Struggling through them and also calling her name is to be heard music of an unearthly sweetness that is seeking perhaps to beat them back and put a girdle of safety round her. Once Mary Rose's arms go out to her husband for help, but thereafter she is oblivious of his existence. Her face is wrapped, but there is neither fear nor joy in it. Thus she passes from view. The island immediately resumes its stillness. The sun has gone down. Simon by the fire and Cameron in the boat have heard nothing. Simon, on his knees... I think the fire is done for at last, and that we can go now. Ooh, how cold and grey it has become. Smiling, but without looking up. You need to grip your tongue any longer, you know. He rises. Mary Rose, where have you got to? Please don't hide. Dearest, don't. Cameron, where is my wife? Cameron rises in the boat, and he is afraid to land. His face alarms Simon, who runs this way and that, and is lost to sight, calling her by name again and again. He returns, livid. Cameron, I, I can't find her! Mary Rose! Mary Rose! Mary Rose! End of Act Two <laughs>